And welcome to episode 41 of the Lace Em Up Podcast. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. Brett, if you can hear in the background, he's uh, still on vacation. Uh, Cape Cod, is that where you are? I'm at Cape Cod, yeah. On Cape yeah. Cod, I guess. Well, by, so. the time you, yeah, by the time you listen to this podcast, he'll probably be back in Boston. But yeah. for the time being, he is in Cape Cod. Uh, we're... There, there are some hockey news developing uh, over a three-week absence, uh, which we'll talk about. Um, also got some special feature questions. Um, we're going to be talking about which player or players take one step forward or two steps back this year. Um, which NHL player is going to put the league on notice? Um, I, I, depending on how you stretch it, it's kind of the same question as the one step forward, but uh, I'm putting my <laughs> own spin on it, so be sure to yeah. stay tuned for that. And. I got some fan reaction. I asked a few of my buddies what their number one NHL team should do. So uh, we'll delve into that as well. And uh, in rapid fire, the Jimmy VC watch is finally over. And um, Sean Monaghan got paid in Calgary. I'll tell you how much uh, as well. Uh, in the meantime, shout outs uh, to all the players past and present who have uh, donned the jersey number 41. Um, quite a few goalies on this list, Craig Anderson and Yaroslav Halak, uh, the obvious um, of those two. Uh, Jocelyn Tebow as well, another goalie who wore number 41. Uh, Mike Smith as well. Um, quite a few players. Tyson Berry in his early years wore number 41. Uh, Valtteri Filppula also wore number 41. So did Clark MacArthur, Nikolai Kuhlman, Nikita Shostakov of the Leafs, although he has only played a handful of games yeah, in the league here. He's probably going to find his craft, and um, we'll know if he'll keep the number 41, maybe trade him for another. We'll see. Uh, Jason Allison wore number 41 for several years. Yeah. Uh, Jed Ortmeier, um actually came from Nebraska and played a couple of years with the Rangers. Um, one of the few players from Nebraska and to play in the NHL, he wore number 41. Uh, Ray Whitney, of course, um, the longtime veteran now wore number 41 as well. So to all of the NHLers past and present, wore number 41 in the league, this podcast is for you. And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. Uh, so now it's our social media aspect of the podcast. Aspect, I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm still in <laughs> vacation mode, I guess. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I have a, I have them out here because when I'm I'm going to be reading off these, uh, um, off the fan reactions as well. Um, so Laysome Podcast is our Twitter, um, and then we have our Facebook. Uh, which is just lay some, lay some up podcast um, on Facebook, uh, iTunes, and SoundCloud. You're probably listening through that. Rate us highly on on iTunes. That'd be good. Um, I, I always. Oh right, in the mail um, we have email. We have is uh, laceupbag at gmail dot com for your questions, comments, um, anything really. Um, all right, let's just, uh, yeah, it was a slow three weeks since we've been doing this, but there are, so we figured uh, we'd ask questions that we made ourselves, and then we'd answer them on the airwaves. So we have three of these questions. I have two of them for almost each. Um, you have one, but, um, and I think we interpreted these questions a bit differently. Uh but uh, that's okay, because that was kind of, I guess that was kind of the point. So we had, um, so our first question was, name one guy that will go one step forward this year. Um, I guess I'll go first. Um, okay. I don't know how we're going to do this. I, I always don't know. But um, so we're going to, so I just want to clarify, I assume you don't have McDavid or Eichel, because it's going to be no, assumed. No, I don't have, I yeah, don't have either. It's just assumed that they're going to take a step forward. And they kind of already put the league on notice, so we're going to avoid those guys. Um, or any of the ones that I've already, oops, <laughs> I've already, my mic just fell, uh, who have already, um, you know, been hyped a lot. But, um, so, 
I'm going to go with, um, it's going to be a homer pick here, but I'm going to go with uh, David Pasternak here. Um, I really do feel like this is going to be a big year for him. Uh, this is just, of course, this is assuming he's healthy all year, but uh, when he got yeah, going last... That's pretty much what every single projection yeah. we have is based Yeah, on. that's true. You sh- we should take that, like, we should say that first. This is assuming everyone's healthy and, like, is on the team right away kind of thing. Um, yeah, and this, these yeah. are all just predictions. We welcome yeah, exactly. your opinions as well. No one's going to see eye to eye and everything. Exactly. Say, so. And, you, yeah, you probably are going to be like, what? Who's even Pasternak or whatever? Yeah. But, um, now, so, I, I know Pasternak showed signs of brilliance yeah. uh, in his short time in Well, Boston. yeah, I was about how, to say. Point production-wise, how well do you think he's going to do? Uh, well, I have 45 points this year, assuming he's healthy. Okay. Um, yeah, I actually had a reason here. I wrote down all this stuff here. Um, so... Especially now that the Bruins have, like, three good centers Julian can put them on the wing of. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, the only thing that I'm slightly worried about as a Bruins fan, but also I love this guy, um, but is that is how much ice time he will get. Um, so Pasta, as we like to call him here in mm-hmm. Boston, has seen about 14 minutes of average ice time in his career um, also, considering that he's been injured, he was called up his rookie year. He was called up in the middle of the year, um, and then he got injured last year. But then, like towards the end of the year, he really got going, and that's really the main reason why I put him on here because um, I've watched all of his games. Um, so even still, even with 51 games last year, he got 26 points, which is about a half point per game pace which is kind of crazy, and he's still 20 years old. Uh, just Julian doesn't really like to play the young players because of their defensive mistakes. So I, I could see it, like, in that sense, I could see him not, like, still remaining to get 14 minutes per game. But then when I thought about it, like, Pasternak's probably, like, our second, or I have to avoid using the word we and our here, <laughs> but the second bet he's probably our second best winger besides... Marchand, this is assuming Bacchus is a center. So Julian may not have a choice if Bolesky and Jimmy Hayes don't do much. Um, and I could see, yeah, and I just said that, I could see Pasta getting around 45 points this year, assuming he's healthy. I have another one, but I'll get to you first on what your step-forward guy is. Okay. Well, hopefully I don't, uh, hopefully I don't steal your thunder. Cause I, I don't think uh, you will. Picked- I, I picked Jonathan Huberto as the guy who's taking okay. one step forward. Uh, in yeah. a lockout shortened campaign, he was able to register 31 points in 48 games. Uh, Hubie got a case of the sophomore stuff in 2013-2014. He compiled just 28 points in 69 games that year. Year three bounced back relatively well with 54 points. This past year was his fourth in the league, his first as a 20-goal scorer, and he almost got his first 60-point performance. Uh, and he needed just one more point to reach that plateau. I still don't think we've seen the real Jonathan Huberto yet. Um, back on June 4th, he turned 23, got plenty of room to grow still. Um, I, can see him, I can see him reaching 70 to 75 points this season, and if he got 30 goals and 80 points, it wouldn't surprise me either. I, I think this is going to be a big year for Jonathan Huberto. Okay, interesting. I have a, I have a Florida Panthers player, but in another category, so that's a tease okay. for you. Um, I have, uh, yeah, so my other step forward guy is as unfortunate as this is for me to say this, it's kind of counteracting the Pasternak thing that I just mentioned, but I'm going to go with uh, Dougie Hamilton here as well. Um, this is towards the end of the year. Dougie really was pretty good. Um, and it, and I think like he started, like, I think the reason why he had a bad start at the beginning of the year was just, you know, he was just getting used to Calgary and then. Um, and then I was just looking at his like his like advanced stats and all that stuff, and his like PDO is pretty low, which is a good indicator of him being like just unlucky. Um, so I I think Dougie Hamilton will uh, take a step forward and really become that guy in Calgary. Um, as unfortunate that as that is for me to say. Um, all right. Uh, oh, and then I also have. Oh yeah. Then we do a step back. Um, I have two of these guys here. Um, oh yeah, we did, I didn't even explain the question. (laughs) So then we had, (laughs) we had to ask, so we asked, name one guy that will go one step forward 
Um, and then we have name one guy that will take two steps back. Again, I also have two guys. Uh, but uh, just because I couldn't decide on which one I wanted to talk about more. But um, uh, yeah, I think we can just reverse it. I don't know. Um, I don't know how we'll do it. You go first. You probably won't take my guy. Okay. Well, again, I picked one guy. Vladimir Tarasenko is okay. the guy I think that'll take oh, wow. two steps back to a certain extent because with David Backus and Troy Brower now gone, it's become that more obvious as to who the Blues' primary offensive threat is. Yes, he'll provide a much bigger, powerful punch than Backus or Brower ever could, but everyone in the league is aware of his talents, what he can do with the puck, how well he can shoot the puck. And that's not to say Vladimir will never be able to repeat or even surpass his 40 goals, 74-point output from last year. But I don't think he's going to do it this year. And you saw a tiny glimpse of it, uh, his offensive struggles in the Western Conference Finals against the Sharks. It was only a six-game series, but they still held him to just two goals, both of which came in the third period of Game 6, which was well in the Sharks' favor at that point. Um, I think teams are starting to figure out Tarasenko's game plan, how to limit his chances offensively, and how to ultimately get into his head. I think you're going to see, again, a slight progression in his game as he tries to adjust through all of this. Um, maybe 55 to 60 point season, despite the learning curves, but a third straight year with 30 plus goals, I think is a bit of a stretch. So I think you'll yeah. see Tarasenko take two steps back this year. Um, well, as you know, at the last episode, I had him in my top 15 players yes, to look out and I for. I didn't have him fine at all. Yeah, you didn't have him at all. But I, so I'm going to defend him a little here cuz I feel like Tarasenko is one of the few people in the league who can like create his own chances and create a scoring. So yes, he doesn't have Backus and he doesn't have Brower, but I think he um but like he was doing well even without them. Um like Backus and Brower didn't really have a great year last year on the Blues, and um, he wasn't even on their lines, I think. Um, so I think in that aspect, I think it's a little understated. Um, and then um, also I think for the playoffs, they were playing a tough team with the Sharks, um, and I also think that was also partially to do with Hitchcock just not giving them enough ice time, and I think over yeah. time... Uh, he will give him a lot of ice time because he's pretty much, as you said, he's pretty much their only good player now on the Blues. So they kind of have to rely on him to score. Um, so that would... I, yeah, I, I think it's more the reliance to score. Like, he's pretty yeah. much their top guy. I think that's that's more got to do with my explanation than the oh, fact yeah. that Backus and Brower are gone. I think yeah, it's yeah. just the fact that everything, guess... everything revolves around Tarasenko now. I guess that's that's fair, but I think like these past two years, it's been his team anyways, and he's been able yeah. to do well. So I mean, I don't know if he'll I can even see the argument for yeah. and against, no doubt. Um, so I have two guys for a uh, step back. One I have who's going to take a real big step back, which I guess is two steps back, and one who just will take a step back. So the guy who I have who's going to take a two step back isn't really surprising if you start thinking about it, but I have Henrik Sederberg here. Um, really? Yeah, considering he's already started his downturn, uh, Zetter, so I was just looking at his stats, and Zetterberg's best year was in 2007-2008 with 92 points. He was in the 70-80 range until 2012-2013 season. Um, he's been played by injuries, to be fair, so I yeah. will give him some benefit of the doubt there, but uh, he played a full season last year, and he got 50 points. Um He's also going to be 36 this season, so uh, he's not really like a young chap like he used to be. Um, and then as well as you have to think about how Datsuk is gone, um, how that's going to affect them in terms of like power play and stuff. Um, so I don't know if, like, I feel like the Red Wings are going to be on a downturn. I know, we feel like we always say these in the last couple of years, like this is like the time where the Red Wings aren't going to make the playoffs, but... I really feel like they they have a shot that they're not going to make the playoffs this year. And Do I you think, think Henrik Zetterberg is going to regress to the point where he gets 30 to 40 points? Yeah, I was just about to say. Like 40, you're really? I was going to say it's 30 to 40 points. I don't think it's going to be like that drastic where it's like like they won't even like play him or something like that. But I think he'll get... I, I think he, I just, yeah, the chances of him shaving his beard are better than the chances of him getting 30 to 40 points, but okay. we'll see. 
All right. Well, we disagreed on two of these things already. <laughs> uh, it, it's just that it's, uh, there, are, there are guys like Henrik Zetterberg that you, you just really can't imagine them going having their offensive game regressed to that level. But you, you know what? It, I'm not going to say it's impossible. Well, yeah, he, he played a full season last year, and he only got 50 points, and that's not that's not like a Zetterberg like year for him. So I feel like. Yeah. Um, especially with the how the Red Wings are doing now, I feel like um, he's gonna even drop down even more. Um, but um, so that was more my reasoning. Um, but you're right. No, Zetterberg's definitely like a Hall of Famer for sure. Um, even if he, you know, if he retires today or you know, whenever. Um, and then a step back, I have. I guess this will probably be. I guess I thought Zetterberg was gonna be not that surprising, but. Um, I guess this may be more surprising then. Um, I have Riley Smith here. Um, but ju- this is mostly just coming from experience from watching him when he was on the Bruins. He had a great first year in Boston with 51 points, but then he struggled the next year with 40 points. Um, in Florida, he got 50 points in his first year, which is like the same as around the same as he got first year in Boston. But considering he's still young, he could be on the up and up. So I, that's why I say a step back, maybe not two steps back. Yeah, um, yeah I, I can see yeah. why you're uh, But if you look at Riley, so I was looking at Riley Smith's shooting percentage this year. Um, it was fourteen point five, which is high, which was higher than it was his first year as a Bruin, which was thirteen point seven. Um, he also has one of the highest PDOs in the league. Um, a, uh, I have an like, explanation for what that means. Um, a statistic that is used to explain how lucky someone has been. So usually if a player has a high shooting percentage and a high PDO like Riley Smith does, it means their stats are not sustainable. Um, it should be noted, however, that Ovechkin's career percentage shooting percentage is uh, 12.4, which has been the most, you know, he's, Ovechkin's like the most consistent goal scorer in my mind. Um, in the league, so um, which isn't too different to Riley Smith's career shooting percentage, which was 12.2, so just a decimal off, or two decimals off. So you may get 50 points again, and there is a chance that I'm really wrong about this um, this year, but uh, considering his PDO is high, I'd say he'll be in like the 30 or 40 point range. Um, but I, I mean, again, I, I it's like tough when you're projecting a guy who's like 22 years old. So, um, so he may, you know, you'll probably prove me wrong. Um, uh, all right, let's go to the next question. Um, so we, uh, this was a funny one cause we, uh, I was confused on what the difference between this question and the previous one was with step forwards. Um, and this one is just which NHL player is going to put the league on notice um, this year. And when Steve emailed it this to me, he said, like, last year it was Panarin and Kuznetsov. Kuznetsov. The year before that, it was guys like Tarasenko and Stone and um, Johnny Hockey. So I thought that meant, like, players that people may not have actually heard of, um, like Panarin or Ghost Bear was last year. But you you were just saying that it's like not necessarily true, um, and you gave me an example of that one with your thing. So since you, I guess I'll go first with um, it's kind of like a team thing here for me because I have two guys from the same team, um, and I don't even. And this is also assuming they make the team at the start of the year. I, I have yeah. no idea if the, if they will or not. But um, so this is assuming that yeah the team. But I really like what the Arizona Coyotes have in their system. Um, so I'm, so the first guy I'm going to go with is uh, Christian Dvorak. It's a plane out here. I don't know if you can hear that. Um, yeah, I, can, I can hear something or water splashing, one of the two. No, that was a plane, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, the fun, fun of the cape, I guess. Um, so yeah, so the Arizona Coyotes have a couple of these guys in their system. I know Steve will know this guy pretty well because considering he was on the London Knights, uh, Christian Dvorak, um, the team that won the uh, Memorial Cup. I feel like Marner and Kachuk also count in this category to an extent, but I feel like uh, they have been more hyped than Dvorak has been. So I feel like more people don't know 
who he is, but he was a big part of their Memorial Cup team. And um, so I feel like if he makes the team this year um, in Arizona, he'll be like one of those guys who could potentially get like a 40-point year or something. Um, and then also from the Coyotes, um, <laughs> this is this has an interesting backstory on how I even heard about this guy. But I'm going to go with uh, Connor Garland. Um, mm-hmm. Because, uh, so, so the way I found out with him was back when McDavid and Eichel were, you know, when McDavid was in the OHL, I remember I was, like, looking at the OHL to see, like, where, um, you know, how many people, like, like, I was, like, how McDavid was doing compared to everyone else in the OHL. And that got me curious to see, like, oh, the Q, like, what's the QMJHL or what's the... Yeah. WHL, and I think, so the OHL had, like, a lot of guys, like, uh, they had Dal Cole, I think, was Marner was a, yeah. another guy, uh, McDavid, of course, Strom, um, yeah. and then, uh, and then I went to, like, the QMH, QMGHL, and Connor Garland, who I had never heard of at the time, um, who plays for the Moncton Wildcats, um, yeah. he, uh, he had, uh, Three, um, he like he was the only guy in a hundred points, and everyone else was at eighty points, and I was like so surprised. One hundred twenty something. Yeah, yeah. Too. He had like a, he had a lot of points or something like that. I guess it was mostly just because a lot he had a lot of assists. So I was yeah, like, this got me. Yeah, I yeah. I don't know what you were going to say. The year, the year after, I believe he didn't slow down. I think he had yeah. another season of hundred exactly. points. Exactly, and. So, like, I was, like, looking him up. I was just, like, how has no one been talking about him? Um, because, it like, it's, like, you know, like, you would expect, like, I would expect to be hearing about McDavid and those guys. But, like, there had to be a reason why Connor Garland wasn't even talked about at all in, like, these drafts and stuff. So, it turns out that he was draft eligible the year before that. But no one picked him because, I guess, he's, like, a 5'9 center. Um, and then... Yeah. The next, so then, uh, I guess, like, the way that it works is that, like, any team, like, he can be, he's draft eligible that year. Then the Arizona Coyotes got him in, like, a fourth round or fifth round. I forget exactly yeah, which fourth, round. Yeah, fourth, fifth, sixth round. Yeah, I wasn't drafted yeah. very high. Um, so, um, so that ever since I, like, was looking at that, I was just like, okay, this is a guy I'm going to look out for. Um, I think he's also from the Massachusetts area, so... That's also cool. Um, and I guess, like, people... So, yeah, people... Uh, I guess scouts kind of overlooked him because he was a 5'9 center. Um, and his line mate, even Barbashev, who was a Blues prospect, I guess people thought that he was, like, helping him out. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I would uh, take a chance on him. So there's probably a less chance that this guy will make the team next year, um, this year, but... Um, it's a guy you should look out for when he does. Um, yeah, so who is your guy who's going to put the, t- the uh, league on notice? Well, he's been around the, the NHL for quite some time, but I think you're really going to see him make a statement that what I've done in the past is no fluke, and, and what I can do, you haven't seen anything yet. That would be Roman Yossi of the Nashville Predators. The last three years, he's recorded 40, 55, and 61 points, respectively. He's been averaging 10 to 15 goals a year during that stretch. And in his third NHL season, he went from a career-best 18 points to 40 points. Um, His sixth NHL season, I'm not sure if he's going to be able to go from 61 points to 90 or 100 points. That could be stretching the truth a little bit. But I think he's going to make a statement. I think his all-around game will continue to evolve. And P.K. Subban's debut season will not be enough to distract the rest of the league from Yossi's talents. This is his team now. With Shea Weber gone, this is his team now, and you will soon see why. Um, yeah, I guess the Predators are a lot. Uh, there's going to be a lot of those guys who will put the team on us. I was thinking of even putting, like, P.K. Subban, if I was going to do with people that mm. um, were going to put the league on notice. But I guess he kind of already did put the league on notice already. Um, and now, uh, yeah, Philip, PK Subban's yeah. his own guy. Like he, yeah. his brand is already out there. They know what he can yeah, do. Exactly. Roman Yossi has pretty much been 
in my opinion, in Shea Weber's shadow yep. this entire time during what or during his time at the Predators. But now that Shea Weber is gone, this is this is his yeah. this is his opportunity to show everyone what he's got. Yeah, and also, uh, um, I guess this also doesn't count on league on notice because people have already heard of them and they've kind of already put the league on notice. But uh, Philip okay. Forsberg and Ryan Johansson as well, I mm-hmm. I think they're going to have a big year too. Um, so then we have another question, which is kind of like the first question, but on a team aspect. So what team will surprise people this year and what team will disappoint this year? So I started it out first. Uh, you can go first for the surprises and disappointments. Okay. Uh, Calgary Flames are going to surprise this year. Okay. Uh, Brian Ellen, I think, is going to be motivated to the rest of us. So show the rest of the league that his excellent playoff run was simply a sign of things to come. Um, you may not see enough of it to put Calgary in the playoffs this year, but I'm confident this team's going to get back on track and the Johnny-Sean combo will continue to light it up. Um, it's still a work in progress, but you will see progress from the Calgary Flames this year. That much I do. Um, yeah, so I already mentioned the Coyotes in the last question. I think, I'm not sure about the playoffs, but I think they will be good and surprise people. I like what Chica mm-hmm. has done there, but... I'm not going to go with them. You, 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 you kind of saw it last year, too. Yeah, yeah. Like, the first half, they, they were in playoff position yeah. for a bit, and then when Mike Smith got hurt, uh, yeah. and, and Louis Domingue, I think, at yeah, some Louis point, Deming, 10, 15 yeah. games in, his, his play regressed a little yeah, bit, but so I don't, did the rest of the team. I'm not sure if, the, I feel like they're still too young to be making the playoffs. Um, yeah. Toronto is another team like that, Buffalo as well, um, who just have great like a bright future and great management. But I'm not going to go there, because I don't think they'll make the playoffs. Um mm-hmm. But uh, I just I did want to mention that because I did talk about Arizona before. Um, but Col- you are, but yeah. you think they are headed in the right direction? Yeah, exactly. Um, and also as Strom as well, Dylan Strom. Uh, Columbus will be my official surprise team. Um, I like the move they got to get uh, Seth Jones in the middle of the year last year. He's certainly one of the best young defensemen in the league. I think you could say. Um, I think he can truly grow to be that number one guy in Columbus, and I think that starts now. Um, I actually, I like Torts as a coach. I understand his flaws, um, but I think like his system works in a way, just depending on the right team. I feel like in Vancouver, he wasn't in the right team for him. I feel like Columbus is more those guys, um, especially like Dubinsky is his guy. Um, I feel like he's underrated in that sense. Uh, Brandon Sad had an underrated year. He had 50 points last year, but no one was really talking about it because it's Columbus. Um, and I think the only true X factors here for me are uh, Nick Foligno and Bobrovsky because we saw yeah. them play really well a couple of years ago. Um, so this is just assuming they can somehow figure it out because I know they are capable of it. I think they could get a wild card in the East. Um, so I feel like the East isn't as strong as it usually has been in the past, and I think they could uh, they could surprise people like that. Yeah, they they got a lot of good young talent yeah. too. Despite the fact they traded Johansson, they still yeah. have a lot of good talent. Yeah, especially they got Luke Dubois, who's Dubois, be, yeah. I think a future stud for them as well. Yeah, um, I think that was a good pickup for them too. So yeah, the, the the one thing that that really interested me is that when Bobrovsky got hurt last year, there's this guy named Jonas Korpisalo that played oh, yeah, relatively yeah. well while Bobrovsky was hurt, so he could he could also Chris McElhaney for the for the backup job there. Yeah. So all of a sudden you got Bobrovsky, you got Corbisalo. That's a pretty decent one-two tandem right exactly. there. Um, so again, injuries really plagued them last year. Yeah, I feel and like it always does, but yeah, that's true. This is also yeah, assuming last, that everyone's year, healthy. Yeah, last year health-wise wasn't good for them. Yeah. So of course all that hinges on how healthy they are this year and and how well they've adjusted to yeah. uh, John Tortorella's way of playing the game. But Again, they've had an entire offseason to do that. I think everyone's going to be refreshed, re-energized, yeah. ready to go. And you're right, that the East is, I think, a little bit weakened um, compared to previous I think years. I feel like it's only like Washington, Tampa, and Pittsburgh are the only three yeah, teams in the East that are going to... Yeah. So, so, yeah, Columbus, they, they, can, they can definitely make a move. They have a yeah. chance to make the playoffs if everything goes right for them. Um, yeah. But, yeah, Washington's going to be the front runner in that division. But I, I think they have a potential of being a wild card team. You're right. Right. Um, disappointments here. Um, I, I don't know. Should, I guess we'll do it. Like I guess I'll go first. Um, 
Uh, I have Dallas here. Um, I don't think, so I just do want to reiterate, because I did have Jamie Benn and Tyler Seguin in my top 15 last week, yeah. our last episode. But uh, So I don't think they will decline, as I said in last week's episode. But I'm more worried about their defense and their goalies, um, especially with Goligoski and Demirs out of the out of the out of town. Um, him, who's Russell is, hasn't been resigned. Yeah, by Russell the way. hasn't been resigned yet. Um, and he's not that great either. Um, him, Hughes is good, but that's only one guy. Um, as well as the main reason, which is like you know, goaltending is even worse. Um, I don't trust Niemi or Lennon. Um, and I think like Nil didn't do much that to really address that this offseason. Like, obviously their offense is good, and I do expect, you know, the guys like Sharp, Spezza, Sagan, and Ben to all maintain that, you know, what they've been doing. But um, I think it's going to be, like, I feel like this is going to be the year where they actually, and just the way that they went out in the playoffs, it kind of, like, just exposed them as just not being a great team. Um, I know, like, Sagan was out, so it, it is kind of tough to, judge that, but I feel like, I don't know, I feel like Dallas is, um, might not make the playoffs this year, especially with the Central uh, being so competitive. See, they're, they're kind of a team like Colorado where they've got such a good offense, but yeah. such a fragile defense that, and goalie. Yeah. that they could be exposed on any given night. Yep. Um, but a- again, you know, I, I had them finishing last in their division last year. Oh, they yeah. ended up finishing, what, first or something like that? Yeah, they finished yeah, they finish. first, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think they're going to finish first. I think they're going to still be a playoff team. Okay. Um, but I think the Anaheim, Anaheim Ducks are going to take a bigger step back than the Dallas Stars. Okay. And I'm not saying the departure of Freddie Anderson is going to be the be-all and end-all of their season. Yeah. And it'll be a massive step back for them. But they still have, to a certain extent, Mind you, the same team they had for most of last season. John Gibson has shown that he can be the go-to guy between the pipes. But last year, he was average, and they had to go to Freddie Anderson to finish the series. And they almost and they almost pulled one out against the Preds in Game 7. Uh, lastly, Carlisle's game plan, I think it's going to take some getting used to. And I think early on you're going to see... Um, the, the slow progression of the Ducks. So I, I think the Ducks could be a wild card team. They could still make the playoffs, but I don't think they're going to be as dominant as you've seen them at this year or the last or the year before that or the year before that. So yeah. I think the Ducks will take a bit of a step back this year. Interesting. Yeah, I guess Carlisle is an, it was an interesting move for them, but I feel like he's been there, like he, you know, there, enough time has passed since he uh, was fired in Toronto. To like, yeah, and like, get, get to, and he's been in the duck system too, so I feel like there is yeah. a chance that he, you know, and I feel like Getzla, didn't Getzlaff and Perry like a uh, voucher for him um, to be the new coach? So I feel yeah, like there's something. I'm not saying to he that. doesn't have any credibility by any yeah. means, but the fact of the matter is, you look at the Ducks team when he left the Ducks. Yeah. Today, there aren't too many guys left on that team. Right. That's true. Um. All right, we'll go to the rapid fire because we are going to talk about the Ducks later in this rapid fire. Um, so Patrick Waugh, I guess the biggest news was that Patrick Waugh abruptly leaves the Avs. He steps down as coach. I didn't even realize he was the vice president of hockey operations, but he stepped down from that position too. Uh, he claims that there was just too big a difference between the front office and him, and he felt like uh, he couldn't, he didn't have as much control as he did. Uh, we didn't mention last week because it happened right after um, we recorded an episode, but Tyson Berry uh, got signed. Um, I forgot the deal, but I think it was like a two-year. Uh, yeah, four years. Four years, six million or something. million, I think. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> I got that way off. I, I Is that six? I can't do quick math. Is that six million per year? Um, no, I think that's around, that's between four to five million. Okay, average okay, four. So that's not a bad deal, but that may have been one of, like, the final straw for Patrick Waugh, because he, you know, Tyson, like, that's, uh, Tyson Berry is, like, known for being the, the linchpin guy for, um, for Waugh there, so maybe uh, he just didn't like that decision. 
would be my well, guess. that's true, but apparently that decision that Watt made was debated in his head for three to four weeks. Yeah. And he was confident with his decision. And complete hockey I have no idea if this has anything to do with it. Uh, they claimed that the ass failure to recruit, uh, surprise, surprise, Alexander yeah, yeah. Radulov may have been a factor. Uh, nobody from the organization confirmed it. But you look at uh, the team where he's at now, and if they get off to a slow start, there could be a coaching firing. They may need a coach who speaks cool. fluent oh. French. Brad loves on their team. Yeah. Could be a sign of things to come if you're Patrick Waugh. Of course, right. I'm talking about the Montreal Canadiens. So. Uh, it'd be funny, though, considering that like the only two teams he's ever played for was Montreal and, and Colorado. Yeah. And now that might be the only two teams that he'll coach for. Um, yeah, that would if be he interesting. Wants, he has to go to again. That's yeah. where he's got to go. Exactly. Um, and then, um, yeah, it was also interesting, too, because apparently Joe Sack, like the Joe Sackick and uh, the front office, like, had no clue that he was going to resign, step down. Um, which is kind of funny because I feel like he was on the, you know, on the fire, uh, he was on the hot seat for a while, um, mm-hmm. and he was probably going to get fired if the Avs uh, had a cold start. Um, but, um, it's also, like, interesting, like, in terms of, like, he wanted more control as a coach, and I don't think any NHL team is going to want that. Um, so I don't know what he expected. Um, I think, I, I read somewhere that on his, the team that he coached in, uh, Quebec, I guess in the QMJHL. Yeah, the Rams. He, he was like a he was a coach and like a general manager. He was like everything for that team. So maybe he thought that was going to be the same for the Avalanche, but um, I guess he learned that that's not what how they do things in the NHL. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, so that should be interesting. And also, I guess the Avs now have to look for a coach now. Um, yeah. So he kind of screwed them there. Because uh, they could have gotten a guy like um, Udrow. Um That would have been yeah. fun. Yeah, um, it, it, I, yeah. especially considering the spat he got into with Patrick Waugh. Oh, yeah, yeah. That would have been funny. Coach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have been funny. Or, like, well, I, I'm trying to think of, like, coaches who are out there, even. Like, I guess Paul McLean is a guy. Like Bob Hartley. I don't think he's, Bob he's Hartley. been hired by anybody yet. Yeah, I don't think so. Well, Mike Yo's somewhere. And he coached the Avs, too, while I was a player. Yeah, that's true. Um, all right. Uh, so the the Jimmy VC sweepstakes are finally over. VC watch is over. Uh, he did not, sadly, he did not go to the Bruins. Um, so I, in my mind, he has, he's, he went to the Rangers. Um, in my mind, I'm, like, I've, I've always been, saying that, like, he has every right to do this, and, you know, um, he's just, you know, he has a choice to choose whatever team he wants to. Um, that being said, I'm, I'm curious as to why he picked the Rangers. Um, I feel like, because I heard that the, it was either between the Bruins, the Rangers, and the Blackhawks, um, and I feel like the Bruins and the, Ranger, and the Blackhawks are at least in a better position than the Rangers are. They don't. The Rangers don't really have a ton of prospects in their system. They have a bunch of old guys. Um, they're not really going anywhere. But um, I guess apparently uh, I was reading somewhere that Kevin Hayes, who went through a similar situation, kind of was the main factor into recruiting Jimmy Busey to the Rangers. Um, so um, I'm like disappointed, but. In the end, like, I know he's not, like, a Stephen Stamkos guy or someone who's, like, he hasn't even played an NHL game, so he could not be that great. So I'm not, like, too downtrodden on it. Now, now I can't remember if it was if it was Kevin or Jimmy Hayes that was a prospect of Blackhawks. Yeah, Kevin Hayes. Got, it was Kevin was it Hayes. Kevin? Yeah, it was yeah, Kevin. Yeah, because they traded him to the Rangers, I believe it was, and yeah. then, of course, he kind of flourished. How bad is it for the Blackhawks that the guy they yeah. traded away Kind of steal well, away a guy that they were trying to get. Well, Kevin Hayes was the guy who um, 
he went through the same kind of situation as Jimmy BC. Like, he left the Blackhawks because he just refused to sign with them. And then he chose the Rangers uh, for whatever reason. Um, he's also a Boston guy, too, um, which is funny. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's an interesting move for him. Um, I do wish him the best. My dad, who is a Rangers fan, was happy that they uh, got them. But uh, it's just, I don't know. It's just a uh, it's, it's weird situation. I, you know, like, if you have a chance to play with Bergeron or Taze, even, um, you choose Derek Stepan instead. Um, yeah, it, but, it, it, it's... You mentioned guys like Bergeron, Marshawn, yep. Krejci, and Krug, and McQuaid, who are there to help yep. recruit him during their sales pitch. Right. Um, obviously couldn't persuade the 23-year-old enough to move to Beantown. Yeah. Um, and, 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 they, and with the numbers that he's been putting up, I don't, I don't know how you couldn't, you know, bring out yeah. the entire brigade to try and get him to come here. I mean, Hobie Baker winner 2016, yep. four seasons of Harvard in his last two Combined for 56 goals and 104 points, that's pretty solid. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, he's, he might, but like that doesn't necessarily translate to the pros. But yeah, he he could be. I could see him being like a top six forward. Um, yeah, but that it might not be like right away. Um, I, I think I think the fact I, I read somewhere that uh, he liked what Alan Vigneault had to say, um, and that. They didn't want him to be the savior of the franchise, but right. they wanted him to have a significant role. So they yeah. didn't want to, you know, say this is your team or all relying on. Yeah, and your I think that would, your shot. Yeah, I think like I was always saying, like I feel like he could be good on the right team. I wasn't necessarily sure if the Bruins were the right team because we do have. It would have helped us on our left wing because we were weak on that aspect of our prospects, but. Um, yeah, I I could like I I just I don't think like I think you like if you don't expect much from him or don't put too much pressure on him uh, like Goudreau was in the, his first year, um, then like I feel like that's that'll give him room to succeed. Um, so like, I, yeah, I can see the um, you probably will be pretty good for the Rangers, but it's his decision. So whatever. I know I that. Still back the Sabres, yeah. You have to give up a third pick. But yeah, I I, I, ne- I never understood that. Access to his negotiating rights. Yeah, I never understood that trade. Um, to be honest, but like at the same time, at least they like they had other third round picks. Um, it is equal to a Zach Ronaldo. Um, so yeah. I, I'm I, as a Bruins fan, I can make that joke. Um, yeah, I I, I, I guess. It, yeah. You know, they got a ton of prospects where yeah. they can justify, you know, trading a third-round pick. And like, if we get this guy, great. If not, yeah, no. Yeah, exactly. And that's what Tim Murray was saying. He's saying, like, we'll just get, like, why not us kind of thing. So, yeah. um, It's a two-year entry-level yeah. deal, not a three-year entry-level deal that he signed with the Rangers. I thought so. I said that. Oh, okay. Uh, the um, two-year, not, not the usual three-year yeah. entry-level deal that you see. Yeah, we'll um, go through this again in two years, yeah. I guess. Um, it's uh, you look at uh, what amazes me is how many other teams that showed interest like Philly, Columbus, Montreal, Carolina, yeah. Detroit, New Jersey, Toronto, Pittsburgh, and the Islanders even. Yeah, like, why not? Yeah, exactly. Ten teams. Yeah, they had the same "why not us" mentality too. Yeah. For them, why not? Um. All right. Uh, so that's that's kind of what surprises me. Just quickly before we yeah, go, go to the next topic, what surprises me is that the Rangers are. Are kind of near cap hell. Yeah, <laughs> and they're yeah, just bringing in all these young guys. Well, that, I mean, that, you know, are going to break the bank, but they're yeah. still going to need dividends for you. Yeah, it's true. They're going to be an interesting team with uh, Zabinajad and VC, which are like young guys that they kind of desperately need. So, um, so good for them. <laughs> I guess I, I feel like I, like a lot of my Bruins friends are fans are like they're kind of like. They hate VC now. It's like, how could he do this? Um, yeah, I wonder if any of them have the last name Valeski because yeah. he, he said uh, oh, he yeah, yeah. the wrong team there, bud. But I think I think that was more of a joke, uh, more than anything. But um, yeah, I yeah I think it's more like uh like to me it's just I'm just happy that he's not on the Blackhawks. Um, 
Yeah. That would have been I'm truly sure scary. That would have been terrifying. Because mm -hmm. um, then, yes, they're, I mean, yeah, they, they couldn't get any more lucky with Panarin and whatnot. Um, all right, let's go to the next topic. I don't know how many fan reactions you have. I have two. Um, I don't know how we're going to do this. How, do you want to go first, and then I'll do mine? Yeah, after? sure. So right. I asked a few of my friends what their number one NHL team should do uh, before the season, uh, the off season ends and the season starts. A Devin Villamere, a Sens fan, thinks Ottawa needs a third-pairing left defenseman who can play with Chris Weidman. Uh, Shabbat's not ready. Borokov's not reliable, which I kind of disagree with. Um, Clayson seems like a wild card at the moment. Having a stay guy can fill that position, he says, and also fill in for Mark Mathot if he gets injured is a must. And he and he also says a bottom six least Stefaniak type player would also help the Sens needs. Um, honestly, I don't think we need a guy like Stefaniak. Uh, um, isn't Stefaniak on the Hurricanes now? Yeah, no, the, oh. a guy like Stefaniak, uh, not a least Stefaniak like a guy like him. Um, I, I don't think we need a guy like that. You know, we just got a guy like Derek Broussard and a lot of young guys on the way. Um, you know, Borakov's, again, not being reliable. The guy's learning. He's only going to get better. He, he can hit like there's no tomorrow. And I think this year's going to be an excellent opportunity for him to show off his skills and be that guy. And I think he deserves the opportunity. Um, Short-term depth of defense, I think that could be the only thing that's missing for Ottawa right now. Yeah, enough Carlson and Mathot, that's your top three. I like that. Um, Brian Fraser is also a sense fan. He wants Cody CC to get a new deal. Surprise, surprise. Uh, I think everyone wants him to get a new deal. But Mark Mainville, who is a half fan, brings up a really solid point. Do you sign him to a two-year bridge deal, or do you sign him for a long-term deal? Like, and, and how long of a long-term deal are we talking? Three, four, five years? Um, ton of potential on CC. Uh, nowhere near that glass ceiling. He continues to improve, but the improvement is gradual. It's not, you know, go from 15 to 30 to 60 points, you know. So on one hand, you could sign to a bridge deal, but he could do really well, and that could mean a bigger payday for him in two years. But if you sign to three or four million a year for five years, and he plays exactly like you were hoping he would, then you look like a genius. Right. But on the off chance he doesn't raise his game, you could be looking at a Jared Cowan type of contract. Um, the interesting part of the comment section was the debate about Roman Polak coming back to Toronto for another year, just months after the Leafs traded him to San Jose. Uh, Jordan Pearson thinks that Roman is taking up ice time that should be used by one of their younger defensive talents or one of their younger studs who could significantly improve if given the chance. Uh, Brad Whisker replies, Name one right-handed shot who can log 15 to 17 minutes per game and can pound bodies who is in their farm system right now. Uh, Jordan replies, Nikita Zaitsev, Stuart Percy, and Connor Carrick are all right-handed shots. If I'm the coach, I give any of them ice time over Polak. That one year to deal be, is terrible. To be fair uh, to... Brian closes oh, sorry. I'm just going to put this here. Brad yeah. closes with, with another point. Zaitsev is already considered to be a top six guy. Percy is basically tire fire. Carrick doesn't bang bodies. And it's inconceivable to think they cast aside a defenseman like Polak, who they consider to be valuable, and who they signed as a UFA. My reign is done. <laughs> uh, I was just going to say, in terms of the Roman Polak stuff, it's like Toronto's still kind of sort of in a rebuilding year. Um, yeah. So, like, just the Roman Polak, like, I don't know if it, like, really matters I feel like he's just an extra body to have there. Um, it's not like there's too much pressure on him. But I guess there is in Toronto. Um, I don't know if that made sense at all. Um, is that, you got some fan reaction too. Yeah, I did. Well, just two things. Um, yeah, so I also posted this on Lace, on our Twitter account. We didn't get too many responses. Um, and we only got one from Ed Brown, 19, who apparently is a Ottawa Senators fan. Oh, um, we got he, a lot of them. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, I mean, you are a Senators guy, so I guess yeah. maybe that that's the reason. Um, he said, kinda, dot, 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 and no, they won't. Because I asked, are you happy with your t what your team did this offseason? Do you think they will get it done? He didn't really further that explanation of okay. why. But... Um, we did get one response there. 
And then yeah, our, no, no, they won't. Yeah, I, I think they're going to stand pat and keep what they yeah, got. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and then we got uh, Brian Darnstead, a uh, friend of the program. Um, yeah, Brian, Alders fan. Yeah, so this was uh, through Facebook. I, uh, we posted this on Facebook as well. Um, so he has a couple of things that he wants the New York Islanders to do. He wants, uh, one, to bring back Strom on a one-year prove-it deal. Don't think he's resigned at this point in time. I don't think he is, right? Um, yeah, he went from he went from eighteen to fifty to twenty eight points, yeah. and his eight goals were a step down from the seventeen he compiled the year before. So. Um, looking to more depth forward options that could provide secondary scoring, guys like Hodler and Perry. We're going to talk Hodler about the signed yet. Yep, we're going to talk about those guys in a bit. Uh, the Islanders have severe issues with secondary scoring in the postseason, where really only lines. One and four were effective. Adding more depth helps makes two, three more useful. This is a, uh, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, that, that could help, I guess. But you could say that about, I feel like, every team except for, like, yeah. the Penguins and the Blackhawks. Uh, trade Halleck under certain circumstances, or the Capitals. Trade Halleck under certain circumstances. The value being right around a second or a decent prospect. And Greece needs to be able to prove he can start for a whole season. If Greece yeah, is I think un- that's the certain yeah. circumstances he's talking about. Because exactly. they don't really have anyone in their farm system. As we alluded to when he was on the program, yeah, they yeah. don't really have any solid plan B in their yeah. farm system that they can bring up. If Greece is unable to, I'd rather keep Yarrow because it, yeah. he is known to he can go the distance. And then, then the last point he has is another impact forward with Tavares. Yes, Andrew Ladd is nice, but I'm talking another winger, a true scorer, to work with JT and make him perform even better. I've been a huge advocate of coughing up a decent package revolving around Dijon to get either one of Eberle or JVR. Eberle is a much better scorer and much more gifted than JVR. But JVR is a much more complete player, and I think he's easier to get than Eberle is. Yeah, um, he's, he's right sure. and easier to get. Player. But I, I, think, I don't know. Especially with, with, yeah. with, with, uh, with the Leafs and all that, I think I think they may be willing to do without a guy like JVR as well. I'm not, especially if it yeah. adds to their prospect. As for that, I don't, I'm not too sure if Eberly and JVR um, are as um, are like I feel like they're going to be sold high or going to be a lot yeah. to give up for those guys. Um, I know they're on like the Oilers and the Leafs, but um, and they do need more defense and stuff, but. Um, I feel like JVR is a part of that rebuilding. Taylor was able to pull off yeah. Taylor Hall for Adam Larson, so yeah, why true. not, eh? Well, I feel like for well, let's start with JVR. I feel like he's going to be like the re, like the veteran guy on that re, on that team once they really get going. So they might want to keep JVR because he can still be productive there. Um, yeah. As for Eberle, um, you know, well, like you said, they traded t- Taylor Hall, um, so. And they have kind of secured their defense there, but um, I don't know if they would like do another one of those. Uh, yeah, because because you know. like the whole debate was, you know, yeah. you know, Edmonton's gonna have to uh, trade one of their star forwards, you know, like uh, yeah. RNH or Eberle or Hall. Well, now that they've traded Taylor Hall, yeah, why they don't would need they to trade Jordan Eberle. Yeah, exactly. That, that was more my point. <laughs> um, uh, for the record, as of August date, the Islanders' cap space is about three million bucks. Okay, so, so not that's that what much. They got to yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the yeah, I don't know if there's going to be too many changes from here until the season starts or until World yeah, Cup. Yeah, I don't but, expect any. But we'll still be here. Um, we have actually an exciting next week episode. I'm going to tease it for you guys now. Um, it has to do with Las Vegas. We'll. <laughs> that's my only hint. Um, the Ducks. Now, now, speaking of Las Vegas, do you mind if I get to this to the rapid fire? Because I included in mine. I don't think you have it in yours. Probably don't. Uh, Kelly McCrimmon will be their first assistant general manager. Okay. He was the longtime owner, coach, and GM of the WHL's Brandon Weekings, who have developed numerous players during his tenure as owner, coach, and GM. A list that includes the likes of Travis Hamnick. Mark Stone, Wade Redden, Ivan Profrov, Braden Shen, and Nolan Patrick, who is a potential first overall pick in the upcoming NHL draft. Right. Uh, the Wee Kings didn't do well in the Memorial Cup this year. They still won the WHL championship, though, 
and they have the most wins of any team in the CHL, wow. not to mention the WHL, since Kelly McCrimmon became their owner in 1992. So that could be a very underrated move that pays dividends for uh, the Las Vegas team that hasn't picked a team name Apparently yet. Apparently they're... Uh, the Black Knights are still in the conversation. Yeah, although, so, yeah, about that... Uh, I think they were going to go with yeah they were going to go with Nighthawks, but then that was also disputed that that's not going to happen. I think there was like a couple of other Hawks, yeah, Winter Hawks, um, which would be kind of funny considering there's Blackhawks already and people are already used to calling the Blackhawks the Hawks. But there's also the Portland Winterhawks of the WHL. Hear that they can't pick the Knights because of in Canada the London Knights. Well. Well, I mean, that doesn't stop. There's the Kitchener Rangers. Wow. Um, and <laughs> yeah, the... Um, there are some Rangers teams. Isn't there the Oklahoma City Oilers? Is that right? I thought the... Whatever. Um, Barons in the NHL. But, but I, I, I think it was more the copyright in the U.S. because uh, Army yeah. is the Black Knights. Um, and uh, the... Bill Foley, the uh, uh, owner, is like a huge army guy. So that's why you wanted the Black Knights in the first place. But um, we'll see. <laughs> um, I guess we'll, I don't know if there's a timetable for when they can choose their name. Um, there's, there's also um, the Oilers named assistant GM Keith Gretzky, Wayne's brother. Oh, yeah. Surprise, surprise, has connections with the Bruins. Yep. He uh, served as the director of amateur scouting in Boston. I was going to get to and that. Yeah, in the some Bruins of his time the segment. Bruins spent with Pierre Shirelli, so spoiler alert right there. Yeah, I was going to get to that in the Bruins sense segment, but okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the Ducks sign uh, Vermette two years at $1.75 million um, average per year. Um, Lindholm, uh, just to note, Lindholm and Raquel have yet to be signed. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on, but it's a... Uh, it's a question mark. Um, I don't know. That was an interesting move for them, for Met. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure if that's like a feel be good there, but we'll see. Uh, he got 17 goals and 21 assists last year. Yeah. Um, 3.5 million over the, past, over the next two years. 1.75 cap at US yep. per year. Um, so, and in case you're wondering, he got bought up by the Coyotes a year, uh, um, a week ago. Yeah. Uh, a week before that, so that's how they were able to get him. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I think he's he's a he's a solid veteran, and I think that signing kind of means that probably one of the death pieces that they got, they're probably not keeping. So like maybe oh, a Brandon Peary, but we'll see. Um, yeah, that, that's a good point. Um, I feel uh, I know Raquel, Ricard, Raquel, Hampus Lindholm. I thought Cam Fowler as well. No, Cam Fowler's been signed. Uh, Hampus Lindholm and Ricard Raquel have yet to be re-signed for RFA. Um, but, uh, so that's an interesting thing. Yeah, they thing. signed Vatanen. Yeah, they signed Vatanen. They signed Vatanen, and Cam, apparently Cam Fowler's also been signed too. So, um, so, yeah, I guess we'll have to see about that. Uh, Arizona signs... Radim Verbata for a one-year, one-million co- contract. Uh, he goes back to where he where he started um, in Arizona. Um, yeah, this is actually, a, his third stint with the team. Yeah. Oh, is it third? Um, this is like yeah, he third. brings like a. I feel like he's gonna bring like a veteran presence here. Um, they might be sneaky good now. I don't know. Um, he could be, yeah. but it it, it it all depends on what rev- rat version of Radim Verbata you're gonna yeah. get because. His first season with Vancouver, he got 63 points in 79 games. Yeah. But just 27 and 63 last year, and he was also a god-awful minus 30. Yeah. The worst of his career, and his previous low was minus 10 in 0304 at Carolina. So. Right. And also, a note for the Coyotes, they also signed Jacob Chikrin on an entry-level deal three years. Oh, yeah. Well, I stopped counting the, uh, the entry-level contracts because I figured – you know, they're all yeah. going to sign an entry-level deal. Yeah, but yeah. gradually they are. Yeah. There's always going to be that one guy for whatever reason. Right, right. just like, I thought they signed, but they did. Uh, speaking of a young guy, uh, Sean Monaghan, uh, seven years, $6.37 million, uh, per year. This is around uh, Nathan McKinnon, what Nathan McKinnon got. Um, 
Yeah, I guess it's a good deal. I feel like Goudreau is probably going to get a little bit more. Yeah, um, he hasn't been signed yet. Hasn't been signed yet, which will take us to our next one, um, unless you don't have anything else to talk about Monaghan. Um, um, he always played eighty uh, eighty-one games in each of the past two years, and yep. um, already got a thirty-goal season to his name. Got good chemistry with uh, Johnny Hockey, and he said he didn't want to play anywhere else, and I would sign for as long as I could to remain with the Flames. So that's got to be good leverage yep. to sign Johnny Hockey. Right, and that will take us to our RFA. Uh, Johnny, Johnny Gaudreau is still not signed. Um, he's. An, I, I'm gonna say that there's a likelihood that all these guys that I'm going to mention RFAs are going to be signed by their team. Um, these teams would be stupid to not sign them. But here are some notable RFAs who are still out there because it's still, it's now it's like kind of late to be signing these guys. Um, Hampus Lindholm, Ricard Raquel, as I just said, Nikita Kucherov um, is another guy. Um, Johnny Goudreau, Rasmus Ristilainen, Jacob Truba and Valerie Nichushkin are all RFAs still. Um, but um, I have a feeling they're all going to get signed sooner rather than later. Um, but uh, you never know. Um, it's still close to the season. I uh, figured I should mention that. And um, as for notable UFAs, that should it's kind of surprising they haven't found a team yet. Well, except for three of these guys. Um, Jerry Hoodler... Brandon Peary and uh, Chris Russell haven't found a guy. Um, and Mike Richards, as well, hasn't been signed either. Um, Mike Richards, I guess, isn't as surprising. but um, There are a few UFAs that have signed, though. Yeah, true. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, like, those guys aren't as notable. Yeah, uh, there was Sam Gagne, who... Oh, yeah. uh, is Columbus. going to Columbus for a year. Um, it, it, he only got 16 points last year at the Flyers, but his plus five he went, from, he went from, from minus 28 to a plus four, yeah. which is pretty good. Um, he'll be making 650 grand with Columbus. Uh, Matt Collins staying put for another year, entering his 19th season, won two Stanley Cups, 16 goals and 32 points oh, yeah. last year, and he's clipped the 40-point mark seven times. So, good depth signing to keep around if you're the Penguins. Yep. Um, that will take us to the Bruins' send segment. Uh, just just quickly before, right. just one minor note. Don Maloney joined the Flames scouting staff. Huge move for them. Oh, cool. Um, all right, so Bruins' send segment. Um, I have here Alfredson is retired his number. Yeah, He's his gonna... number will be retired December 29th against the Red Wings. The only other team he plays. Yeah, which is fitting. Um, I guess we'll have some tribute when that happens. Um, yeah, um, they all. The Sens also signed their first round pick, Logan Brown, to his three year entry level oh, yeah. on Friday. Um, yeah, so the Bruins didn't really make too many moves except for uh, Keith Gretzky is left um, to join the Oilers. Um, for me, it's kind of like he, he was a good scout, but also not a good scout. Um, mm-hmm. Like, uh, so this past year with. Uh, not this past year, the last draft, um, the McDavid draft, we had, you know, we passed on Matthew Barzell and Kyle Connor, um, but we got, you know, Seneshin, DeBrusque, and um, Zaboral have all been pretty good. Um, And then he also got guys later in the rounds, like Brandon Carlo, uh, Jeremy Lazan, Jesse Gabriel, um, who have all been... Great, and that's those are the those are the draft picks that um, the Oilers need. Is it's not like the first round guys because they usually pick well there, but it's just the late round guys that they need. So in that aspect, I feel like Keith Gretzky will be good for them. But at the same time, you know, he has his own thing. Um, he also was he also famously said that they picked. Um, um, Trent, Trent Frederick, who is our first round pick um, that we picked in the Sharks spot, um, was going to be a third line grinder, um, which infuriated me to no end, as I've mentioned before. So, um, so he may have su- there may be something weird. That's I expect the Oilers to have some weird draft picks um, in years to come. 
but maybe they'll turn out working for them. Who knows? Um, I think that's it for us. Um, well, actually, just before you go, um, I don't know if you've heard of the Tragically Hip before. Um, oh, yeah. Are you aware of their work? They're a Canadian I, music. It's, it's funny. Like every like Canadian friend that I have on like Facebook and Twitter, like just where it's like talking about the Tragically Hip. I've never heard of them before. Well, I mean, like um, I've heard they, of them they, vaguely, but I've never heard their songs before. Yeah, uh, they they didn't really get too much airplay on the U.S. radioways. They're yeah. they're a true to the core Canadian band. They're they're huge around Canada, yeah. and they're from Kingston, Ontario. And their frontman Gord Downey has brain cancer, and uh, in for the fight of his life. And they just came out with a new album, and they're pr- and they pretty much just did a farewell tour because. They're they're not quite sure how long they can keep this up, how long, how much longer Gord Downey could keep this up. So they did a farewell tour, uh, which ended in Kingston, Ontario, last night. Last night was presumably their final show, and they were playing at the K Rock Center, home of the Kingston Frontenacs. This is a building that if you if you pretty much squish everyone together, can seat sixty five hundred to seven thousand people. So it's not that big of a venue, and you had roughly twenty-five to thirty thousand people packing the downtown core in Kingston wow. to watch this on the big screen, uh, and you had viewing parties across all of Canada, and then you have this—you know—all these dire, tragically hit fans wanting to get tickets to be a part of history for this final show, and you know, scalpers are buying them and, and selling them for double the price. So. Uh, CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, which you know broadcasts Hockey Night in Canada, all those big uh, primetime shows, um, they pretty much broadcasted the entire concert live for those who couldn't be there in Kingston to see it. So basically, you have this entire country watching a concert that went well over two hours, maybe inch closer to three. They the band came and played not one, not two, but three encore sets. It was. Probably the most emotional concert I've never been to and witnessed in person, um, and 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 this was this was a band that pretty much like talked about Canadian heritage stories. Like there, one of the songs, Fifty Mission Cap," referenced the Leaf Stanley Cup drought, um, where they didn't, where they won a cup in '51 but didn't win another till 1962. So. Um. It, it, it wasn't just, you know, making a bunch of songs that people liked. You know, it was about Canadian events and really connecting with Canadians. And these guys, you know, were just very down-to-earth. Their frontman, Gord Downey, like, he dances on stage. He's right. just you know, an entirely different character. Off the stage, very mellow, doesn't really say a word, very down-to-earth guy, and a very nice guy. And uh, a huge shout-out to the Tragically Up and Gord Downey who was in the fight of his life um, for a great career. Um, and and thank and I'm proud to say that they are Canadian and they've made us very proud. So a uh, shout-out to those guys. Um, their music will live on, uh, although we don't know how many years Gord Downey has left, but their music is going to be as timeless as this great country. So thank you, Gord Downey. Thank you, The Tragically Hip. Uh, that does it for episode 41. We've got episode 42, as Brett Duboff talked about, something to do with Las Vegas. We're going to do a very special show, and you guys are going to love it. Until then, I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. And we'll talk again episode 42, two weeks' time, Place Them Up podcast.